my name's Buffalo Bill and you're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance FM. You're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM and this week on the show I've come down to sunny Sevenoaks to meet with Graham Fife, author, historian, broadcaster who's just got a new book out and we're going to be talking about that and talking about his life in cycling which is also the subject of the book. Welcome to the show Graham. Welcome to Seven Oaks. Is it always this sunny? No it isn't. No when it's sunny this, this, this house faces directly south so I get the full benefits. Great. And so this is the centre of your cycling world in North Kent that you describe with uh, some love in your book. Uh, where are we going to go for a little spin today? We're going to head out towards Plaxtol, which is where I meet my particular friend Luke. Um, that's, that's our convenient midway point. Um, it's, it's a bit hilly towards there, up, um, up to look over towards the, the Weald. Um, but it's from here five minutes and we're in quiet country lanes. It's great. I love it. This is the hub of my, my cycling world in England and I couldn't have been luckier to have found it. Alright, well I'll follow you. Okay. Quand on partait de bon matin, quand on partait sur les chemins à bicyclette, nous étions quelques bons copains. Il y avait Fernand, il y avait Firmin, il y avait Francis et Sébastien, et puis Paulette. Nous étions tous amoureux d'elle, on se sentait pousser les ailes à bicyclette. Sur les petits chemins de terre, on a souvent vécu l'enfer Pour ne pas mettre pied à terre Devant Paulette Faut dire qu'elle y mettait du cœur, c'était la fille du facteur À bicyclette Et depuis qu'elle avait huit ans, elle avait fait en le suivant Tous les chemins environnants À bicyclette Quand on approchait la rivière On est posé dans les fougères Nos bicyclettes Puis on se roulait dans les champs Well we've just come up the first hill North Kent known for its hills But we were shadowed all the way by a rather timid Removals van who couldn't decide whether he was coming past us or not and uh, here we are certainly out of the uh, out of the suburbs yeah first side of the country it's great I mean that little hill always kills me uh, I can't do them quick anymore and being with somebody that much younger and fitter of course is always a, a cheerful reminder of that very fact <laughs> he lies he lies <laughs> but here we look out uh, beginnings of orchards and hop fields the hop fields are Dying away a bit in Kent, sadly. But, uh, you know, this is a, a lovely little road. Just along here is a place called Stone Street. I mean, clutch of houses, not very much more. I used to get loads of apple logs from the, the, the farm there. And this is my arterial route out into uh, the further wilds of, of Kent. And so turning to your book, you've written lots of books. You've written books about cycling, books about the Tour de France, books about history of the French terror 
um, and probably other things that you were written were written under pen names that you won't divulge on the bike show um, and I won't press you on that but what made you think about writing what is essentially a very personal memoir well I suppose it's the accumulation of, of uh, all the work that I've done writing about cycling from the Tour de France book I mean people say to me why that and I said well it's a, a it combines a passion a a passion for the bike, but an intellectual passion too for the the history of the, the the tour and you know the epic event that it is. And I've written quite a lot recently, which has been constrained necessarily by historical fact, accuracy, and all the rest. And I very much wanted to write this book because hey, I'm a freelance, I need the work. But it, it's very personal to me, and I hope that doesn't make it um, kind of introspective. It's certainly not that in my view. Uh, but it was to cut loose, to write from my head and my heart about something that I love. And it widely, it ranges widely beyond just the two wheels as we stand here, you know, astride the bikes. Um, of course, that's what brings us together. But I'd say, Jack, really this book, for me anyway, um, is a celebration of friendship. Above all, a celebration of friendship, uh, um, you know, a sense that that's the core of our being and existence. Without friendship, we, we are very little. Well, that sounds very positive, but the opening chapters of the book describe a childhood which not necessarily always had you a smiling, carefree child. Tell me about growing up in Finchley in North London. Well, it wasn't happy, as you'll see from the book, um, and the pity is that I was actually a, a happy little chap. I did smile a lot, and um, that created its own problems. I really survived it, and... The portrait of my father is true and he died recently and the, of course the emotions are complicated there but I've tried to be as well as honest as I could be um, a man much afflicted um, and so I got through it with the help of my grandparents friends and all the rest but I think that what I and I hope what comes out of it is a sense that there was always my own my own being in there somewhere that no matter what was going on round about me survival was important of course but keeping the spirit intact and you know I, I learned to lie and deceive and and not be found out all that kind of stuff you know as a, I suppose somebody said to me you know like a spy I don't know about that but um, to emerge at the other end and say hey well you know to, to quote the Nietzsche what doesn't kill us makes us stronger and you weren't a kind of childhood cyclist you had a bike you had bikes but it wasn't your kind of passion at least from the description you give of it in in the book how did you come to a love for the bicycle and was there something deeper in your character that you felt that the bicycle met a certain need or was it a purely utilitarian thing well to begin with it was utilitarian it, it got me further away and faster than I could walk or run yeah, I mean, it's interesting that the two sports which have uh, animated me most profoundly are cycling and rowing, both where you can sit down, whether there's something about my innate indolence, I'm not sure. But it was it was rowing, certainly, at university, which which really triggered what I celebrate now every time I go out on a bike, even when it's just shopping. Um, it is that, that thing of pushing yourself beyond the limit of what's comfortable, which I did on the river habitually, day after day after day, hour after hour, but I found on the bike something unique beyond that. That is, I suppose, what unites us all, that you are on the bike by yourself, whether in company or 
just riding alone. And you can do what you want. You can push yourself that further. And, uh, you know, as the book explains, the, the, the bike introduced me to an exploration of something wider beyond just the immediate experience of doing something which hurts like hell, very satisfying, okay, on the river. But on the bike, there is that extra dimension, what you see, what you hear, the people you meet, and, okay, sure, being inspired by the Tour de France. I came, in a way, to taking cycling a little bit more seriously through doing rowing at university. And it's definitely that combination of pushing yourself and, and feeling that kind of sense of slight abandon when you've gone a little bit too far, perhaps, and you know it's going to take yourself a little bit of time to uh, recover. But somehow, I don't know whether it's just the simple fact of endorphins in the body, but somehow it makes you feel good. And the limiting factor of rowing is that you go up and down this river. You go up and then you go down and you go up and then you go down and you've got three or four or seven or eight more people in the boat that you have to be organised and, and, uh, and corralled into doing it too. But the bicycle is, as you say, solitary, can be solitary. It doesn't have to be solitary, but it can be. It does, it does work alone. But more importantly, you go somewhere. You have freedom to go somewhere. Do you take that road to the left or that road to the right, which is something that rowing doesn't really allow you. No, I mean, if the, the rowing is a very different, a very different compression of, of your, your physical and, and mental effort and, the, you know, the, the need for coordination with other people, especially, you know, with seven other people, four, three other people, and they never turn up on time. Of course, there's an added frustration in that. You do get on your bike and you're out there. But I think, you know, not again, not to be highfalutin about it, it's the, the, the inner life, what goes on in your head too, um, that I find most stimulating about the bike. I mean, a while ago I made a radio programme for uh, for the BBC um, and in the course of it interviewed um, Alan Bennett and he played a very straight bike. He wouldn't be drawn on a bike. He rides a bike, utilitarian. And I said, don't you ever find that, you know, when you're working, you need to get away? And just the other day I said, you know, I went out on the bike and um, I got stuck on a bit of work and, you know, things bubbled up. And he looked at me and he said, um, no, I'm afraid things don't just bubble up. It's more or less a constant grind. But for me, it is absolutely that thing of, you know, I can be absolutely worn out at the desk and I think, I've got to get out of here. I get on the bike for 10 minutes, I feel awful. I think, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then it starts to loosen up. And that's, you know, setting the brain free, the imagination roaming. And it's exactly what you're doing. It's part of the rhythm of riding. Well, about a year and a half ago on the bike show, we had a psychologist on the show talking about brain states. And she said that if we're constantly stuck in a beta state of multitasking, it's very difficult to have creative or original problem-solving thoughts. Whereas if you get into an alpha state, which you can get into through walking, swimming or cycling, kind of repetitive physical activity, your brain is set free. So there is science behind that. Let's get into the alpha state. I'm all for that thing of just stepping away from the hard work. You know, you've got to do it. You've got to sit at the desk and, and face that machine. But almost, you know, for some people, it would seem like a risky business, uh, stepping away, saying, but, you know, you're going to lose it. You're, you're going to forget things. I say, no, no, that's where you find the stuff, in those vacancies, apparent vacancies. Well, let's continue on and try and avoid getting run over by rather expensive cars that seem to be going past. <laughs> it's Kent, man.
like barley um, and then there's a wooded ridge and at top of that is a one tree hill which is what the book was going to be called originally um, because it's very steep and it's very unpleasant and it's got a good ring to it one tree hill and it was turned down because apparently it's a television program well I don't have a television so I wasn't to know I mean my daughter might have told me there we are didn't matter I've found cinder hill which is further away from here but that's this is the, well, one of the routes towards it. Um, you'll read about that in the book. And we go into a bit of a, a hedge-lined road here. And to the left, there is a very ancient mixed woodland. This area here is very close to the Pilgrim's Way, which is the route used by pilgrims to Canterbury, the shrine of St. Thomas a Becket. And these woods here, are crisscrossed by old tracks used by peddlers. Um, you know, originally this whole area would be woodland and... This would, have had, would this have had a, any of the iron workings that this, at least the southern Kentish weald is known for? I'm not sure if this far north, Jack. Uh, Maybe, but I, I don't know about that. But you certainly, I've walked through here. And it's and, all overgrown coppice, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. But, there, you know, there are maps which... You can go, you know, go a walking off-road. I haven't ridden off-road, but they are fine, fine tracts of woodland, and uh, you do really feel that you're you're tramping the ancient ways. Just going up a little rise here, and we're dropping down into Stone Street, which um, betrays its Roman origins, because that's what it would have been—a Roman road. The Romans were here in quite serious force. And just up ahead, you can see there's a hop field there. All right, we're gonna, we need to go in a single file. We're being passed, I think. Okay. So here we are at the uh, top end of Stone Street. We've just done a bit of a loop and a good, a good long view. Oh, yeah. to the start of the wheel. So will the uh, Tour de France stage one come nearby here? It's coming to Tunbridge and so we're going to pick a lunch spot of course. Very important to uh, to follow the tradition of the tour and see it from the side of the road. I've yet to uh, pick an exact position but uh, it'll be out in the country somewhere. So you won't be in the car with Jean-Marie Leblanc? No, no, no. <laughs> No, although Luke the will... pork butcher, <laughs> as he was famously described Is by right? Johnny Green in his book on the Tour de France. All oh, right, yeah. 
Luke is actually almost certainly going to be right driving the motorbike for, for Graham Watson. I said, hey man, you're going to miss lunch. It is all about waiting yeah. and enjoying. Yeah. I think it's going to be great. Just recently um, riding these lanes, the, the buds bursting, you get that wonderful balsam fragrance. It's a, mm. it's a lovely moment of the year as the spring takes hold. Let's go left here again. Now in your book, you kind of bear your soul. You know, there's all the st stuff about when things weren't going so well. Um, quite a lot of oblique references and sometimes not so oblique to, uh, you know, personal life, uh -huh. the women that you have known in all the ways that it's possible to know women. Well, How yet, comfortable Jack, were yet. you to do that? I think one of the the consequences of my childhood was that I closed up on myself. I mean, I had big conversations with myself, but I'm essentially, I think, candid and open. One goes on learning about oneself and that's important. But I think one of the, the most important aspects of my, my writing life has been to snap the locks clear, snap them free and open myself. And this is the, the first occasion when I've really been able to do that. And I felt entirely happy about it. I mean, I'm, I'm not dishing dirt. I'm not being rude, I hope. And I'm not being sensational. It's as it was that I can recollect and as it struck me at the time, and as I say, a few names mentioned, okay, but uh, but nothing more uh, to uh, to to hurt. That's important. Got a bag by the name of Tilly. Cutest thing you'll ever see. I got a bike by the name of Tilly that my mama bought for me. Got degrees on the old ball bearings, but want no rust on them at all. I want to ride on the old ball bearings, so I'll never, never stall. I ain't pumped Tilly in a long time, but I'm gonna pump Tilly tonight. I'm gonna to pump Tilly right down the line. I'm gonna ride Tilly out of sight. When I put on my brand new rubber, she'll ride so doggone smooth. I must put on my rubber, then old Tilly's in the groove. I ain't pumped Tilly in a long time, but I'm gonna pump Tilly tonight. I'm going to pump Tilly right down the line. I'm gonna ride Tilly out of sight. Thank you.
Choose my bike by the name of Tilly The fastest thing I ever rode Choose my bike by the name of Tilly That can carry such a load Now I ain't supposed to be in a long time But I'm gonna pump Tilly tonight I'm gonna pump Tilly right down the line I'm gonna ride Tilly out of time Ain't rang her bell in a long time. I'm going to ring her bell tonight. I'm going to tighten the screws on Tilly and ride with all my might. Now I ain't talked Tilly in a long time, but I'm gonna pump Tilly tonight. I'm gonna pump Tilly right down the line. I'm gonna ride Tilly. Well, we've returned back to Casa Fife, and Graham has kindly put some lunch on the stove. And we have a couple of beers open, and um, I just want to ask you a bit about the Tour de France. And yeah. from why did you get a passion for the Tour de France? I don't know, Jack. It's it, it's. I suppose it coincides with um, my friendship with Laurence. Um, that was the early 70s and it was when I started riding a bike again seriously um, well riding it seriously for the first time I suppose because I got ill a, a lung infection that's when I started saying hey I've got to get stuck into this um, and I was friends with a guy Roy Wyman who had ridden as a pretty good amateur at high level and he talked about the tour and so it I suppose it just struck a chord and and it wasn't on TV or really carried no, no, in the no. newspapers in those days. No, I remember... It was very, what, very exotic. I mean, in, I don't know, uh, early, well, mid-70s, you got 10 minutes on a Saturday lunchtime on the sports coverage of the Tour de France. That was it. Uh, so there was nothing. I mean, in the Cycling Weekly, the comic, you know, did a bit of it. But it didn't... It all was a bit parochial. And I suppose it was getting in touch with that, that cycle, cycle journalism in French. That I suddenly thought, wow, this is, this is a bit special, this. Because it's a different approach? Well, I think, yes. I mean, they've, they, because it's a, a long, long tradition, of course. Road racing is absolutely it for them. It had been going on for, well, not quite a century then. I mean, 70 years, but it was the big race. In those days, even more so, the, um, the, the, the sense that here was this amazing sporting event going out across the hexagon of France, appearing in tiny little villages. I mean, I've, you know, I remember riding through a, uh, a village on my way to see Laurence one time somewhere in remote countryside and kids gathering at the side of the road going, vas-y, poupou, vas-y, poupou. You know, I mean, just the enthusiasm. But beyond that, how does it become a mystical experience? I suppose we're getting into the to the realms of uh, metaphysics here. Um, you know, extending the uh, what I what I was talking about earlier. You know, the sporting event to well, the great epic. I mean, if you like, it's it doesn't encapsulate it, but it gives some idea. Henri Desgrange, who founded the Tour de France, said the ideal tour for him would be a race in which only one rider had the endurance, determination and physical wherewithal to survive. You know, so we are talking about, you know, not to put it too grandly, but Aeneas's descent into the underworld, the parallels, you know, the, 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 uh, the metaphors of 
you know, going as far as the human spirit can possibly in, endure to go. And suffering, and glory oh. through suffering. Absolutely. That, I mean, you know, there's... How there, do you get glory through suffering? You know, the word travel comes from the, the, the word travail. It's to do with working. It's putting yourself through something to discover something. And our self-knowledge, you know, Gnothis Eaton, written up at the Adelphic Oracle, that is what is important about ourselves. And we each find our own way to do it, you know, saying of somebody who never rides a bike, they're never going to find out about themselves. Of course, that's, that's nonsense. For me, um, it is um, exploring my own physical uh, capacities, but also the mental, you know, driving yourself and saying, no, I can keep going. That's what the Odyssey is about. I mean, Odysseus loses his friends. He has to keep going. And um, I, I read uh, um, uh, classical Greek at, at Durham and the, the, the repeated phrase, Odysseus pushed down the grief in his heart and he put his hand to the steering oar. You go on, no matter what, has, what affliction you have, have encountered, you go on. And, you know, in a small way, in a microcosm, that's the Tour de France. And what kind of state do you think the Tour de France is in today? We've just seen last week the uh, arbitration hearing of Floyd Landis fighting against the failed drugs test. We have every week, it seems, a new star confessing in a tearful way that they attempted doping or that they doped once a very long time ago. Has doping spoiled?